two, one. Oh, uh, good morning. Hello and welcome. <laughs> we we are off and running. Uh, we appreciate Is that the cold open to the yeah to the uh, H3O podcast. Uh, I am Joel Rather here with my masked and uh, super yeah, conservative is, uh, co-host is, Jason Hirsch. This is getting ridiculous right now. So I forced him to do I it. I can't breathe. Um, he has the I've first light. Asthma. What's that called? Huh? The first light. This is the arrow will buff. Arrow will buff. I like buff. this thing. Yeah. So except I can't breathe, so I'm going to take it off. He's he's. We'll, I've got we'll, asthma. We'll see his face. But we are <laughs> fortunate today. We have two very special guests and uh, super cool that we could kind of wrangle both of them in at the same time. Uh, Jason Phelps and Dirk Durham with Phelps Game Call and the Bugler, as he's so aptly known. So thanks for joining us today, guys. How are you? Oh, hey there. Um, doing great. Doing great. <laughs> Um, we, we, we're going to have to direct questions here so we don't get them talking. Yeah. Each other. Um, so we, you know, sometimes we would make this a social event, but I, I didn't figure you guys would want to uh, pour a drink at, you know, nine 30 in the morning or whatever it is. So we'll, we, I got we, nothing we, else to do. We, we, <laughs> don't we, tempt me. <laughs> well, you can't drink all day if you don't start early. Right. That's, that's I've always said that. I've always felt that that was, you know, the this, only way this to may or may not be coffee in this mug. So. All right. So we'll just use, um, use your imagination. <laughs> But, uh, well, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that obviously we'd love to cover kind of, uh, pitch to you guys in, in different directions. I know Jason and I have talked about a whole bunch of things. Hopefully we'll have a, a little bit of fun with it as well. Um, do you have a few questions that we got from, uh, so from folks online that, uh, we'll, we'll fire at you guys and we'll just kind of navigate through this and we appreciate your time and, and know that, uh, it's definitely been interesting for everybody and, and maybe we'll get into that as well. And hopefully we'll talk, maybe we'll talk a little hunting. I don't know. Do you guys, does that sound like a plan? What's hunting? You bet. I'm just a hiker. So yeah, but we're, we're, we're professional bow hikers. Yes. I'll, I, I'm going to, I'm going to advertise my services. I'll take your rifle or your bow for a walk in the woods for a week at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i'll forget dog walk that's right i'll, I'll, yeah, re I'll report progress and take pictures yeah <laughs> so um kind of <laughs> kind of getting getting into things a little bit here um maybe we'll start i know jason had a, a couple questions that uh, he was going to ask we'll go jason to jason right sure. out of the gate um and uh and we'll move our way through this so well first off i i, I want to just say to both you guys I, I we've met dirk uh in person at the uh, rocky mountain um outdoorsman show um and and then obviously we've communicated you know with jason through you know emails and uh and now obviously on a podcast but you know you guys for you know being as big in this industry as you are you're both very humble human beings and very gracious with your time um and i think that's something that we don't see in a whole lot of industries is you know guys who are willing to just reach out to you know random random folks and, and spend some time with them talking about their passions um and that's kind of where you know my my leadoff question here is going to start is why game calls like why why get into that market you know this is obviously directed more towards jason because i know dirk you you've got a background with other companies but you know jace there's all these other people that make game calls whether it's you know a primos or rocky mountain or something like that why did you decide that you want to get into this game that you know effectively looked like it was a pretty crowded field yeah, I mean, there's kind of two parts to it. Um, I've always joked that no matter what, until from the, until the time I die, I'm going to have some sort of business, whether it's 
you know, it started off on tinkering on, you know, four-wheeler motors, dirt, uh, motocross motors, building those, and just, you know, the engineer in me just is always tinkering, trying to improve on stuff. Um, when I got tired of working for 24 packs of beers from all my buddies, um, I'm like, this, this working on four-wheelers isn't a very, isn't a very profitable, um, you know, gig. And then, you know, always tinkering um, with elk calling being my passion, you know, thinking I was pretty good at it back in the day when I, when I first picked it up. Um, I went to a very, very small sporting, um, uh, kind of an outdoor show, a local one, real small. And there was a guy there, a local guy turning some calls and, uh, you know, me just being me, he said, Hey, what do you got for elk calls? And he blew on it. And it sounded like what I thought a duck call should sound like. <laughs> well, this guy is selling, able to sell calls and I should be able to, to do this. And, uh, so, you know, I, I probably spent a, a year, um, researching like, well, how do you even get started? You know, cause to be honest, I had no, no manufacturing background, no, I had design background from my normal work, um, as an engineer, so I could sit down and design anything. Um, you know, still being fairly young, I knew, um, of, of 3d printing becoming a more popular option. So I knew I had some ability to, to combine all of this and it just kind of, um, and to be honest, when we started, it was truly just a, a hobby. Um, I had no idea it was going to get to where it was. I never set out with a goal for it to get to where it was. Um, and so it was really just kind of my OCD combined with one of my passions and it just kind of grew into what it was. Um, yeah. and, and there was a little frustration with what was on the market. I'm not going to lie. I'm not, that's just, you know, I was like, well, why can one of these be good, but the other nine of them aren't good. Like there's gotta be a recipe to make them all 10 sound this good. Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of what I do when I go to set out on a design, like I'm actually thinking of my builder as much as I am the end user. Like, all right, we can, we can build this call for the end user, but can my builder consistently build that over and over? Um, if he's 10% out on this side of the call, or if he's 10% out on that side of the call, him or her, um, is that call still going to function um, and, and function very well? And so um, it was just kind of that passion to make these things better. And I hopefully, um, you know, we, we've been able to accomplish some of that. Yeah, I, I think the you know, the consistency thing is probably something that's that's really huge with that. And I know um, Dirk, when when we talked to you here in Denver, um, we kind of talked briefly about that. Where I was like, you know, how how do you determine? You know, obviously there's you know different types of latex and things. And and I know there's some funny stories we can talk about that, even just the exploration of of some of those materials. But Dirk was was you were telling us about you know specific tensions and stuff like that, like. Um, how did you come, uh, to, you know, figure out what was right for you, Dirk, in terms of, you know, I'm sure you've blown hundreds of calls over, you know, over the years and like, what was your tinkering process? And then how did that tie in with Jason as far as, as coming up with what's now, you know, your, your Maverick call? Well, <clears throat> I've always been, I've always thought that the more authentic, um, your elk calls can sound the more likely the elk are going to come to you. Right. Sure. Um, you know, and out of frustrations of not finding, you know, con quality consistent sounds from diaphragm to diaphragm to diaphragm, you know, um, kind of led me to Jason. Cause you know, I tried his stuff and just, he's the very first handful of calls he ever sent me, they were all a little bit different, but one thing they all had in common was, you threw every single one of them you threw them in, you could make quality sounds with, you know, I may not be able to blow as hard on this one. I, I could blow harder on this other one, 
but they were all like really super good quality. Um, so then that led us towards, you know, working on building a relationship of working on this, uh, signature call, the Maverick. And, uh, the kind of the process that we went through is Jason kind of had an idea of what I liked, uh, as far as like latex tension. So we kind of went on, on the, the lighter side and then the heavier side of that spectrum and then used several different tensions of, of tightness of, of the stretch of the latex. And I don't know, he sent me 20 to 50 calls, something like that. And I, I just, every single one of them, I take out, blow it, put it back, you know, and I had a yes pile and a no pile. And then in my yes pile, I go back through them and go back and make a smaller yes pile and a, and a bigger no pile until I kind of had it narrowed down to where I really like these core. There'd be a handful of them that I liked. So then um, over the years, there's been a few different calls that I like to make that a call that's not built just right won't make the call. It will, will not consistently hold up. It'll, it'll kind of maybe cut out or flatten out. It won't make that crisp, clean cut. So I found that this kind of this certain thickness of latex range was, would make that call, that sound, but some different colors would make it, the sound a little more articulate, a little more, you know, on point. It was a little easier to move and the notes would move a little quicker. Um, so I just kind of narrowed it down by that. And then that's kind of how we, how I, I came to that, that green latex on the, and that stretch on the, <clears throat> on the Maverick. And so then as far as the stretch, we kind of tinkered with that a bit afterwards. Um, because I know what works for good for me, but let's face it, Joe public may or may not, um, like it that, stretch that tight right off the bat. So we kind of backed it off a little bit to kind of make that little bit of a compromise to where, you know, it'd be a little bit more user friendly for, for, uh, you know, for the, the customers versus just me. So, and I, I still like the call in in that regard. It it still works really great for me. So I don't use anything special. I just, (laughs) I just grab some that, that are just production models, you know, the ones we would sell, sell to the public. And I can take them hunting. So anyway, that's kind of the, the, what we kind of did to, to narrow it down to what I like. Yeah. yeah I, I think it's, I think it's really cool or interesting, I guess, to think that, I mean, you look at an elk call, uh, you know, you look at your amp and, uh, you know, all the different colors and, and you just think, well, that's just different colored tapes and, and it looks like it's the same, you know, kind of basic frame and, and latex, but there's so much more that goes into it that makes it either easier to blow or more difficult to blow. I know I, I've got a buddy who's just getting into uh, learning how to, you know, use a mouth read and he sucks at it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. He's freaking terrible. Uh, yeah. He's, he's sitting there like trying to make the sounds and I'm like, dude, I think you got the wrong one. Like I, and I've told him, I'm like, go, go get, you know, some Phelps ones and order, you know, order a bunch of them and see which one you can blow because that's ultimately the one that's right. going to lead you down the path to finding the right fit for you. I and mean, he just went out and bought some generic stuff from, yep. you know, yeah. one of the outdoor outfitters or uh, outdoor stores out here in Denver. But, um, yeah, I just think it, it fascinates me. I know, you know, Jason, you're an engineer um, by trade, and I think I've just got a curious mind. And I, I just think that stuff baffles yeah. me when I think about how much science goes into such a simple product. Yeah, and it's 
you know, when we started working with Dirk, um, you know, we, uh, and not that everybody couldn't make the same conclusion, but, you know, he had some of the same um, conclusions that I had, like, well, the black latex is just a little bit slower than the green, um, you know, and just stuff like that we were picking up. And it's crazy. You know, you bump up the latex by 25, 10 thousandths, and now you have to redo your stretches. I mean, so we're dealing with, you know, minute, minute thickness changes that we can feel and, uh, you know, have to have to make accommodations to um, as we build the call. And that's one thing um, that's led to some of our consistency is that, you know, Dirk's call requires a very, very specific thickness of latex. And if it gets too thin, I can't even do anything within the stretches that the, the end consumer thinks it's going to be the same call. And if it gets too thick, um, I can stretch it a little bit more. But as soon as it gets, you know, too thick, I can't even make it sound like the same call. And that's some of our, our commitment is I'm not afraid to throw, you know, a, a 20,000, uh, you know, dollar latex order back at the manufacturer and say, try again. Um, this is yeah. what we agreed on. This is the specs that we um, said that you could meet. Yeah. I, I think, you know, as I'm thinking through this, it's like there's so many things that you can maybe make parallels with in terms of like, think of other things that you buy and how much process goes through finding the right type, style, fit and whatever else. And I think a lot of the, the maybe the average hunter or the person who goes into a Cabela's or a Bass Pro Shops and walks through, you know, the aisles and stuff like that. And they see this, you know, there's always this wall of, of, of recalls and it's really hard for them to understand um you know what is the difference between a lot of these and at the same time understand the nuances with that and realize like for me i can tell you in my early years like this is a huge uh, i mean i'm a, i'm guilty of it as well where it's like hey, i'll just try that one and you know for me probably uh, over the last 10 plus years until i really came upon you know you guys and and i've tried all you know every everything under the sun like found something where um you know last year when when i you know kind of put together a, a call series and and really just showed a host of whole different things including obviously uh you know what you guys um sent out you know you could i think you have to have a critical ear to be able to actually tell the difference right and i think that's one thing that the average person maybe can't tell like dirk's talking about you know those small nuances and you know sharp tones and and how you know the the call itself if you're bugling the the kind of crescendo of it as it goes up and and how quickly can you change between those things and are they smooth are they raspy are they you know whatever and once you try a bunch of them and, and you get to where you can actually make some consistent calls and i think a lot of times you start you know maybe it's a question for both of you guys like how does someone start rather than you know just wailing away on you know on a tube or or using a diaphragm and learning how to cow call um you know what are some strategies that you tell people like hey this this is a good way to start this process so you can identify what's going to work for you i like to tell people um it's kind of like crawling before you walk uh if you're a new caller you don't just grab a a diaphragm and throw it in your mouth and start ripping big bugles. It just, it doesn't work that way. I mean, you can try, but most people are just 99% of the people just aren't a natural and they don't just throw it in the mouth and in their mouth and know exactly what to do. So the best thing for me and my advice is, uh, is maybe to just start learning to make some noises on it. Like let's make some, some fundamental sounds, fundamental noises, consistently start making those noises you know i kind of i always preach this this noise this mosquito noise try to try to make that real ee, 
this really high-pitched mosquito noise with your diaphragm and learn to control it. When you first try, you know, it might be kind of wavy and like you, know, you can't really find the, the right pitch. But, but as you practice, finding that mosquito noise and then holding it throughout, you know, you take a deep breath and then you exhale your whole breath across the diaphragm. And as air pressures change and you have to change your tongue pressure to maintain that same pitch, then now you're learning to, you're learning control. You're learning muscle memory for your tongue. And then that's, that's a, that's a fundamental sound of making elk calls. So then you can take that, you can take that noise and turn it into cow calls into bugles into barks into chuckles, so on, so forth on down the road. But it's just learning to make some noise right off the bat before you try to start making fancy bugles yeah jason what do you think i'm gonna piggyback on that and go a little bit different direction so yeah don't um don't go right to trying to you know sound sound like the biggest baddest elk in the wood you know there, there are those fundamentals but one thing i'm going to say more from the call selection side and, and maybe you know dirk and me and charlie and some of the guys that have signature calls do a, a disservice um to our customers is everybody thinks they should buy our calls uh, if they want to sound like me and Dirk. And really, it's probably not the best diaphragm to start with. You should really start at the lower end of the spectrum, the blacks, greens, and grays, um, until you get the hang of it, and then slowly progress into our calls. So, um, you know, like I say, we, we may do a little disservice thinking that, uh, <laughs> you know, you should should buy our calls to sound like us. Uh, uh, shoot for the moon. Really do it. Baby steps. <laughs> you want to be the best you buy the best right <laughs> that way you can sound like the best yeah. <laughs> that's brought to you by no, I'd, right. I'd have to agree with i'd have to agree with that too um you know like trade shows you get a lot of folks coming up they're like i want that maverick well have you ever used a call before nope never have <laughs> so i try to steer them into like okay i'll sell you one if you really want it but but you know i kind of explain the differences between some of the others and there's some others that are a lot more user friendly for for newer callers. Yeah. Um, so I try to, you know, I kind of give them choices and try to steer them into maybe another direction because I want them to good, have a, a good experience. You know, this is their first experience with our calls. I right. don't want them to to uh, to pick up that Maverick and say, "Yep, it's all hype. This thing's a piece of crap." <laughs> no, I, I want to make sure we. I want to get them to the right call, and may, maybe someday that Maverick will be good for them. Maybe not. Right. There's guys that have been calling for years and, and they, they use the pitch black or they use the black amp or whatever. I mean, there's everybody's so different. So you never can, you never yeah. can call it really. Yeah. I, well, and I think that, you know, la last year for me, um, you know, I, I really kind of went through the, the, the spectrum of, of, you know, most everything that you, you guys have in terms of the different types and styles, you know, whether it's a pitch black series and, uh, Jason, your call and, and the Maverick. And, you know, I kind of landed on the amp white because I kind of identified that, um, I'm about as, you know, I've got about as much finesse as a sledgehammer. And so for me, like, I felt like I could be a lot more distinct in, in just like how I personally, you know, apply pressure and, and, and the, the, just the way that I can kind of be maybe a little bit more in terms of the amount uh, uh, that I blow through that. And I found that from a sound perspective, I can use a, bun a bunch of them, but I feel most comfortable in that because I, 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 you know, I think what it boils down to a lot of times is once you get to where you can make 
sounds that, you know, maybe you feel relatively confident with is just being comfortable and confident enough to blow that thing. And more importantly, like, you know, we, we carry our tubes and stuff and diaphragms in our trucks and, you know, blow them all the time. So our wives don't yell at us and whatever. But for me, it's like, what happens once you step into the woods, right? Like, can yeah. you do that? And are you confident um, yeah. when that, when that happens? Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly new to the yeah, that's, the, that's... Hunt, the hunting calling game, and, the, and he's exactly right. It's just figuring out that progression. Um, I know I bought I bought the Cat Road Shuffle Kit from the the BRO website, and I know those are those are your guys's um, calls in there. And I progressed through every one of those colors. And some some weeks it was one color that I thought was really good, and then the next week it was another color that was really good. Um, but yeah, that that was. Uh, it was good for me to to have kind of that learning curve there. Oh. So, all right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Do you guys? Do you guys? <laughs> yeah, uncomfortable sorry, silence. Uncomfortable silence there. Uh, I know. <laughs> I love driving around with the windows down and uh, blowing the mouth calls without moving my lips at all, and. Uh, uh, I get some incredible looks from people, especially dogs, people walking their dogs. That might be my favorite thing to do outside of actually trying to call an elk yeah. is to call a dog or, or to really fool somebody in their car. And they start looking around going like, what the hell? Where's that sound coming from? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, now, yeah. Go, it, it, go ahead. Yeah, that progression, I was going to speak on that, that progression, you know, like I, I tell a lot of folks, They'll probably, when they first start calling, they'll find, yeah, I really like this, whatever diaphragm it is. But as they get better and as they get better, they'll be like, well, that was pretty good. But this other one really works good. It's just like you kind of, you kind of find your, you find your way and that may lead you to into a complete different diaphragm than you started with. So yeah, yeah. I may have blown, um, don't, don't be afraid to experiment. I may have blown a few of those reads out too, using them day in, day out and the ones that I wasn't using were the ones that had the uh, the tighter latex, so they got better sound uh, or better sounding as as the uh, hunting season got closer. Oh yeah. Speaking of that, like, what's yeah. uh, you know, when when does someone know? I mean, I think like uh, when you go through and you start using them and you do it relatively frequently. Um, you know, a lot of people like to to stay pretty fresh in in their calling. Um, when when does someone know like uh, that that call maybe has lost its stretch or like what do you guys recommend is there a time frame like even care right like I know I think about leaving mine in my truck and like in the middle of the summer like does that start to affect it and those types of things like what do you, what's your recommendation on that Jason? Yeah, so on the on the first phase of that question is I think most people um, whether the, even if they're good or not, they'll physically or they'll audibly be able to hear a difference. Like that call will lose its high note. It might lose its top two high notes. Um, you can just kind of feel that call starting to loosen up, you know, become a better cow call um, and, and store, sort of lose its top end on the bugle. And, you know, sometimes that could just be as much as uh, you've been using it for two hours straight and the call's starting to get, you know, heavier or waterlogged. You let it dry back out. It could, you know, come back to life. Um, so I think most people can tell right, that that calls on its last leg. It's it's not holding up to high notes. It's not getting as much volume. And then as far as proper storage, we're pretty, um, you know, let it dry on a counter, um, especially on single reeded elk calls, um, you know, turkey calls and stuff like that. We have multiple reads of latex. There's a different strategy, but on the on single reeded elk calls, you can literally just let them dry on the counter. 
um, keep them out of the sunlight, keep them out of the 130 degree dash of your car <laughs> and you should get, you know, your maximum life out of them. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a real simple storage. You know, if people are really trying to get, you know, additional years out of them, which I recommend on turkey calls, we can get three, four, five years out of a turkey call. Uh, on an elk call, uh, you know, the ultimate storage is refrigerator or freezer. You know, dry them off uh, after you clean them off with water, let them dry, and then throw them in the fridge or freezer. Um, you know, cool, dark place is the, is the best storage for those. Yeah. So your dashboard's not a good place to keep them, Joel? Uh, no, that's uh, <laughs> good news. It, it's a uh, it's, I, a, it, it's a great spot um, if you're a coal manufacturer. Right. I, 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 I was just going to say, no, that, that's, that's really good news for you guys because it uh, looks like I'm in the uh, call buying Yeah, you, uh, might, you might be in the market for some new calls. <laughs> which, is, which is probably uh, okay. So um, l looking at uh, – it, it kind of – you touched on it just a little bit there. Let's talk, you know, turkey calls and I know even, even your duck call lines. Like, um, Dirk, I have yet to see you blow uh, a duck call. What's your ability to blow duck and turkey calls? Let's go. Turkey uh, calls? I think turkey calls pretty solid. Um, I'm not going to win any championships. I'm a pretty solid turkey caller. Now, for ducks, um, the only noise I know a duck makes is what maybe – Daffy Duck might say, you know, uh, <laughs> I've never duck hunted a day in my life. Really? I've never, I don't, I don't even know. They, they say quack. <laughs> duck say quack. <laughs> I, I always, I always joke with my kids. I take the estrus call and I'll just move a little higher up on the reed and I'll start quacking it. And I'm like, Hey, look, I can duck call, but clearly it's not no, a very good duck call. No, it's not. It's terrible. Sounds more like a frog. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, I like what I'd sound like. <laughs> same, same question for you, Jason. Like, uh, I've yet, I, I don't see, I've never seen you blow your duck calls either, as far as I can tell, but not on video. At no, least. I'm full trans. <laughs> no, full transparency. I'm every time I go to a trade show, I still get taught how to blow our duck calls. And, and that's, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, it, it's, it was never my design. Um, you know, so we just teamed up with Eric Strand um, out of Oregon, you know, a, a championship style caller. And just asked him like hey he wanted to do something with us we want to do something with him um strategically and so why take a guy that can't blow a duck call versus a guy that can blow it in the top 99.9 percent .9 and say yeah. hey, let's work on something together and that's really how our waterfowl line uh, you know started out with him making and designing those duck calls and then him um he's currently working on some um, goose calls uh, nice you know on the turkey call side I, w I would say i'm a very good turkey caller but uh you know, duck call, not so good. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, a, Leave I'm it a, to the experts and equal sure you opportunity. Just take them out with you. Yeah. yeah I, I'm an equal opportunity caller. Yep. Like I, I grew up, uh, in Nebraska and grew up on like waterfowl ground, um, you know, North Platte, South Platte rivers and stuff like that. So for me, like any calling that I did at a, at an early age was all waterfowl. And so, um, I was telling Jason the other day, I'm like, I, I've got to, I'm planning to get my hands on, you know, one of your, your duck calls because it, it, I've gone through a gamut of them and, and I, I usually carry three of them. And, uh, so I, I want to get my opportunity to, to vet those as well and, and, uh, get my hands on them because for, yeah. for me, that's, that's like, uh, it's funny because I kind of liken it probably to what you guys consider, uh, you know, your comfort level as far as like, uh, you know, blowing bugle tubes and stuff like that. Like I can pick up a duck call and I'm like, all right, let's rock, you know, and, and the progression on learning how to, to Turkey call, which came like maybe in my high school to college years and stuff like that. Um, 
kind of similar processes of you know learning how to use them and and uh, now like the last 10 to 15 years has been trying to learn how to to elk call so um i, I don't know i'm i'd say i'm i'm a master of none as what i'm yeah. getting at basically uh, i mean but. ducks ducks <laughs> do come in when you quack so uh, yeah. he's seen I, it I, i'm not going to uh i'm not going to put you down there um but uh, what's what's the difference in in uh, the make as far as the turkey call comparatively to you know a diaphragm for an elk call so for us and what I found in my own calling style and then getting a lot of feedback from, from good elk callers and good turkey callers is, is we've mentioned that we have the amp frame on the elk call side. So it's got a radius aluminum plate over top of the latex that provides us with some, some very good characteristics in a good all around call. On the turkey call side, uh, I believe you sound a lot more like a turkey if we use the old traditional flat frame. Um, no, no plate, no aluminum above it, just flat. And what that does is it allows us to use, um, you know, most turkey calls are triple reeds. You have yeah. two playing reeds, um, gives us some of that pitch break. And then your top reeds typically cut to give us that rasp of some sort. Um, the smaller, the smaller amount of overhanging material um, gives you less rasp. The more cuts, the more material overhanging um, that second reed, the more rasps you're going to have. Those turkey calls, not only do they have three times as much latex are typically stretched three times ish plus or minus um, than an elk call. So that's why we get that crazy durability out of them, out of a turkey call is yeah. because we've got three times as much latex and we're stretching it three times as much. So, I mean, those calls are just built um, to last a long, long time. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, there's a little bit of storage technique that's, that changes. Um, we recommend using like dull toothpicks um, to keep those layers of latex um, separated when they dry so that we don't get any, uh, you know, kind of yeah. latex rot or we don't want those those latex reeds to stick together um, for, for the, you know, during the storage. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to get the Rona in your reeds. <laughs> no. <laughs> for real. <laughs> uh, that's, that's good. So, what do you, I, I, you, you? Maybe you can't talk about it, but are there any black ops projects for uh, for Phelps that that are something new that's coming to market, or some kind of innovation that uh, that you guys are, are going to be starting to push? Can we talk about any of that stuff, Well, we can we, we can we do world exclusives here? We could tell you, I but wish, we have to kill. Oh well, in that <laughs> <Yeah>. moment. <laughs> <laughs> we were on a roll until um, this uh, mess of a virus hit and s slowed and halted everything. So I don't know. We were set for a June 1st release on a lot of new stuff, and that's completely um, been blown out of the water, even if we can prototype test some of this stuff this year. So um, normally I would say we could probably start to let the cat out of the bag because we were close enough, but we're kind of on in a holding pattern. Yeah. Fair enough. I wasn't expecting anything out of that. I was just figured I'd poke and pry and see if there was uh, yeah. a foot in oh. the door that I could sneak in. Um, the, the timing would have been perfect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. All that's right. Well, there goes that whole page of questions. Next yeah. one. Dang it. <laughs> yeah. Dang it. All right. Come, 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 switching back. Let's, let's, let's talk about elk hunting. That's, that's fun. Um, we had a, uh, a conversation Last week, uh, talked with Steve Chapel. Um, Steve is, you know, long, long known in the industry. Super, super great guy. Uh, awesome conversation with him, and he kind of he made a statement that I, I kind of wanted to pitch back to both of you guys. And he's like, talked about calling style, 
And he's like, you know, he goes, I, I, I'm more of a lover when it comes to calling. And he's like, not much, not as much of a fighter. And he kind of talked about you guys and talked about guys like Corey and whatever. And he's like, when he heard, you know, the, the caliber of how and, and, and the approach that you guys take from the bugling perspective and the chuckling and all this. And he was like, man, it just changed my thinking. And, and, uh, so, you know, I think about that and I've watched both of you guys go and I'm like, which cat, which category do you guys fall in? I'm like, you guys are more fighters, right? Would that be, do you think that's is that like, a fair assessment? Is that a fair assessment I mean, I when think you think is, about but... your calling styles? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and, uh, so you're taking that may, maybe a step further, like talk about like situationally, you know, where, where you utilize that in, in your favor, or how do you identify, like, you know, when, when is it more appropriate to maybe be a little more subtle and, and obviously out to where, you know, Dirk, you're, you know, charging at bulls screaming in their face <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, like what, how do you, how do you make those decisions or, or, uh, you know, what, what brings you to like, all right, let's throw caution in the wind and let's just get after it. I think if you've ever, uh, if we ever, if we think back to our middle school days or high school days and, uh, you got some guy that's picking at somebody else, we've all seen it, whether we've been the guy getting picked at, or we've been the guy picking at other people. Um, eventually you're going to break it. You're going to break through their defenses to where they get pissed off. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's, and that's what I'm trying to do with elk. So I'm trying to take their temperature from the beginning of our conversation, me and this bull, we're having a conversation. I'm going to see what his temperature's at. Some bulls, they've already got a chip on their shoulder and they're already kind of agitated. It doesn't take much to get them mad and have them come to fight. Others, they're just minding their own business, having a, you know, having a good day. But if you keep pecking at them and keep messing with them, pretty soon they're like, all right, I've had enough of you. And <laughs> you see, we've seen this in the, the lunchroom at school. We've seen this, you yeah. see it at the bar, you see it wherever. I mean, it's, I think, I mean, of course, humans and elk are completely different, but in the regard of that primal instinct to fight, it's not so different. Um, because I think if you agitate something long enough, it's eventually going to want to fight. So I kind of play off the, temp the, the temperature of the bull um, and, kind of see how far I can, you know, some bulls, like I say, he's just minding his own business, having a good day. Well, I'm going to slowly start pecking at him until maybe I can build his, his rage up enough to fight. Whereas another one, you, you make just two or three calls and he's, he's ready to go. He's going to have to come kick your butt because he's already mad. Right. So, we should, I think we should change Dirk's nickname to the bully. Instead of the bugler, because yeah. <laughs> that's probably more more apt uh, based on that description. Yeah, you, you're, some... you're you're the guy who walks into the peaceful meeting and starts kicking everybody's chair. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, my my camera yeah. guy does call yeah. me jerk jerk Durham. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, then, and then to roll roll off on that a little bit, um, since Dirk stole all my answers, I'll kind of take it in a different direction and. Um, I'm sorry. Is, is, no, no, you're good. You know, we're out there in September, and there's there's different ways to do it. And and I think Dirk can attest that we've still called bulls in with just cow calls. You know, it's worked. Sure. Um, yeah. But and not every time they're going to come in. Just but you know, they're typically going to you know waddle in, not say a word. They're going to look for their cow, and you're going to shoot them right. And so, I mean, why I love killing elk, and that's my my ultimate goal, and I would love to be able to figure out a plan to do that. 
The difference when you call the bull in the way that, that Dirk and mine and that aggressive style is, is you've now got that bull to snap. And it's a completely different experience as that bull starts to close from 60 to 40 to 20. He's bugling every step of the way. His eyes are rolled back in his head as he twists his head under you know, the branch. He's got that crazy look in his eye. To me, that that small difference, you know, what seems like a very small difference because we're ultimately still going to run an arrow through that bull is is worth the, you know, always going at him aggressively. Um, and, and I'm the first one to admit, like, we may screw up some bulls because we just can't get that thermostat to crank over to the crazy pissed off elk. You know, he's just going to stay as mellow self. He's going to go about his day. And, and we may actually lose an opportunity here or there. But that risk is worth um, that time when that bull rolls his eyes back in his head and, and he's coming to kill you. Right. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And, go ahead. And what I love, what I love about elk hunting too, and I will say this, just kind of a, a disclaimer. Um, hey, just because I do it this way doesn't mean it's the only way. Uh, there's right. so many great elk hunters out there way better than me that they have their own little system dialed in that works great too. So I think if a guy, you know, as far as listeners or new callers or whatever, or anybody, I do this too. I, if I can take a little bit of everybody else's ideas and put those in my quiver, I got, I got more tools. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. um, I always, I always like to say that disclaimer. Yeah. At what point, I mean, obviously there's a ton of trial and error and you guys have, you know, boatloads of experience in the field from the time you were, you know, kids all the way up until now. Uh, at what point did you, did you start to kind of define your calling style? Like, you know, obviously Dirk, you know, you're, you're a pretty aggressive guy. At what point did you go, you know what, I've tried all this soft calling crap. I'm going to go ahead and just scream at this guy and see what happens. And, and, you know, it seems to be almost like a signature way that you go about it. I kind of figured it out on the third day. <laughs> I don't want to sound like a jerk or <laughs> conceited or anything, but I kind of figured it out on the third day I ever hunted, bow hunted elk um, because I was successful. I, I kind of used those tactics and called in this bull and shot him. Um, but <laughs> like, well, I guess, I guess it's going to work from here on out. <laughs> Sixty <laughs> percent of the time it works every yeah, right. but but why? And here's what made me think about it is you know I didn't I didn't look at elk hunting as like I'm a hunter walking around trying to you know become one with the forest and slip through the woods and sneak up and shoot an elk with my bow. You know I kind of I look at what elk are doing. Okay, elk and why they call to each other and what happens, what's the cause and effect, and you know they they they're advertising for ladies they're they're showing off their dominance to other bulls and all this stuff and i thought you know elk are big noisy animals making bugles they get mad they come together um i just kind of thought i should role play i thought well i'm just going to act like an elk i'm going to role play like i'm an elk you know i'm a kid right a 15 year old kid i'm going to just role play like i'm an elk and see if that works and man it worked awesome i'm like well i'm gonna just keep doing it so over the years you know i've really screwed up a lot of things more probably than i got right but i kind of learned all these little things that kind of worked good and i still every year still screw everything up but um but that's just kind of how i that's from the beginning i've always been a, a real aggressive uh caller or hunter so 
Yeah, yeah. Jace, Jace, you started chuckling there a little bit. I know we were chuckling a little bit too when he was describing role playing. I could just see Dirk in the woods with some <laughs> fake antlers on his head. <laughs> we're walking around and bugling. Yeah. Some people spray elf pee in the, in the air, not yeah. me. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, no. I spray other kind of pee. Not <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's funny uh, so uh kind of moving maybe into uh similar areas here um you know one of the things that uh, obviously us in colorado right now really are are kind of on the you know the cusp of is is a little bit of the the wolf conversation oh, i just got an email about it too um, yeah we we're trying to sort through that mess i know you guys are are accustomed to or have hunted in in wolf country and stuff like that you know and, and the introduction i know uh, dirk i've heard you talk about it probably on numerous occasions but um you know what are the things in terms of not just you know i don't want to get into like hey should should colorado let them in or not because we obviously know the answer to that but um more importantly um what what did you guys see or have seen in terms of elk behavior that happened upon like introduction of wolves and and now you know we know obviously what happens with the amount that we see of their capacity to you know multiply and and grow in numbers and stuff like that and i've heard a lot like we talked with with garrett from top priority who's also from idaho um and you know he's told us a bunch of stories about their experiences and things like that what's you guys' kind of response to that or, or observations with regards to it well, I live in ground zero of where wolves were introduced <laughs> in Idaho. Um, 1996, they released wolves, you know, probably 30 air miles from my house or, or less. Um, and at first, the first, you know, 1996, you didn't really see a lot of wolves around. But by the year 2000, they had moved around a lot. And you start seeing, and by 2000, to 2003 they'd made a big footprint big impact on the elk behavior and elk numbers and by 2005 they had decimated um the elk in the region um you know idaho's clearwater region um at one time was probably one of the highest concentrations of elk in the lower 48 this is before colorado came on so 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 strong and um it went from probably 19,000 elk to less than 2,000 elk in that period wow so from from 1994 to, to 2004 2005 you know they they had just decimated the elk 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 there so that that's that's a that's that's a, a numeric way to look at it um but also you know the change of the elk behavior elk are a lot tighter lipped these days you know a lot of times they'll bugle they just don't bugle super loud until you get really tight and get really close to them um i've got i've got some canyons that that i i know there's elk there i got trail cameras you can't buy a bugle i've hit it every week of september trying to get an elk to bugle they won't bugle until you're like right on them, like within, you know, a hundred yards. So in it, the kind of country it is, you're never going to find them unless you just happen to stand. So, um, it's really complicated elk hunting, you know, back pre-wolf people would go and set up a big, beautiful, you know, picturesque, um, elk camp, like, you know, grandpa did, they'd have a big wall tent and 
Right. And hunt that same little drainage for Sounds you know every year. I got my bull on this ridge, and and nowadays if you if you come to Idaho and hunt like that, uh, at least North Idaho, um, you may not even see an elk or hear an elk or even see an elk track. It's a camping trip in a week's time. <laughs> it's a camping trip. Yeah, yeah. you might get a few. Yeah. They said I'll, but, I'll take I'll take um, your bow and your rifle for uh, for a hike. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> you're kind of hot you might want to bite that <laughs> uh, J- jason how, but, how about you on that yeah so i i think i am in the state with the most aggressive um wolf reintroduction plan um, i don't know if we're ever going to get to hunt them as predators and you know similar to, to Dirk, just watching we're seeing it now more in our game regs and our special permits and our quotas are just I mean, tanking, um, you know, we're down below 30% of the tags that we had, uh, you know, just five years ago, you know, some of our best units went from 15 tags. We're down to five this year. Um, so these areas and, and I don't want to get this all political, but these politicians sure. aren't dumb. Um, my state's ran by King County, Seattle, Tacoma. They put a stipulation in this recovery plan that requires two of these packs to be on the west side of washington where where i am residing um, i live in the timber capital of the world here in lewis county and they know that that's they're not even making an attempt and and, and so now they've put all of us in a position where you just allow these two packs on the west side which dirk just mentioned these things grow and expand so quickly so are you going to buckle and let them bring these two packs in just so we can get this over with so we can start to hunt these things which, or do you keep, continue to fight to protect my backyard from wolves? And so they've almost put me in a weird spot where right. now I'm a bad guy against my fellow outdoorsmen on the east side because they want us to accept them because they've had to take 19 packs themselves, but yet we have to establish these two packs on the west side. And it's, it's put us in a weird um, you know, cauldron of what's the right answer. And, and I try to be educated about it, and I don't know what the right answer is. And then my... Um, you know, my feedback of hunting an area in Idaho with, with very, very heavy wolf, um, you know, populations is you can be in a canyon for two days straight on fire, knowing that you have multiple herd bulls, you know, we'll be out eating our mountain house outside the camp and you'll hear some howls in that. And then to go in that same canyon the next day in complete silence for the entire day is just like, it's, it's a, it's a perfect case, you know, to study. Yeah. It's a perfect study on how much these affect, um, you know, and if you're, you know, as, as Dirk mentioned, a lot of times our strategy is to go from trailhead to trailhead to trailhead, just hit areas, hike ridges. You know, it makes it very tough because you could have a canyon that truly is loaded with elk or a lot of elk using that area. But if those dang wolves happen to be in there to shut those things down, like you just might know you might you might overlook some very, very good elk hunting. But because the wolves are in that area, everything is just silent. And, it, yeah. it, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, it's working against us. Um, and so it, it's very frustrating. Um, you know, I think. You know, Wyoming, if anybody has the right, the right strategy is, all right, they're here. We've accepted them. Now let's shoot most of them. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we're, we're in a similar situation that, that you are, Jason, that basically Denver and Boulder County run, run the state of Colorado um, and without much input from, you know, the mountain areas or even the ranchers. Um, so we're, we're in very similar situations where uh, you're right. They get smart. They try and pit, they pit us against each other for, uh, you know, for a goal that they're trying to establish. So, um, well, and I think the interesting part is like, you know, Jason and I've talked about this where, you know, the, the forced introduction of a non-native, you know, wolf in, in general, right. Which is, is something else that's a little bit, 
uh, of a you know caveat to that conversation, but where the proposal to re-enter them is into an area where there's just very little hunting based on the fact of, of how much private ground there is in that area of a huge herd that you know really has no way to prepare itself or adopt or adapt itself into that and then when you know just taking like you know logic heaven forbid into this equation no, where i go um i'm pretty sure the wolves that are in wyoming they 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 know that uh, they 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 don't know that the the state border yeah. <laughs> is is uncrossable yeah. you know yeah. you know there's a natural progression of things and we've seen a couple sightings uh, this year with them around and and you know they allow that to to take its course and we know how quickly um, they can you know multiply and and uh, that type of thing and it's like they'll they'll end up here you know patience is something and we talk about that all the time in hunting in itself but um you know to force it i think is is a little bit unnatural and we'll you know i think we can probably put that to bed but um let's move on to something more fun yeah uh, i well and i don't know where yeah. you're gonna go with this this fun <laughs> stuff but um something came to mind when jason you were saying you were sitting around eating your mountain house i want to know what your favorite mountain house meal is because i know in our camp the chili mac is avoided at all costs um, but there are some other there are some other fan favorites. So I, I want to know when you guys are out in the back is in camp the back clear. country, what what are you guys cracking open? And do I have to say Mountain House brand? I'm still thinking. No, no, no. They don't have to be Mountain House brand. If you've got a favorite brand, I, I know I tried a bunch of different things so, last year, but uh, I know that that's just kind of you so just really you said Mountain House, so I stuck with it. Yeah, I, I really enjoy the peak refuel stuff. Almost everything they make um, has a. It seems like it has more of that high end flavor. And when you know, sometimes when you're out there grinding, you know, 10, 15 miles a day, um, that little bit of difference. You know, Mountain House is good. It's it's edible. It's uh, you know I like some of the flavors, but it's just like to me, I'm like, man, if you've got a chef in here designing the stuff, like let's make it taste like I'm an Olive Garden, or let's make it taste right. like you know the the best chili. And so. Um, no, I think Peak Refuels did a, you know, they're a little more expensive, which I think you're you're paying for that. But, sure. Um, you know, the, the quality and flavors that Peak Refuel has, I think everything, you know, garlic Alfredo is probably my favorite. The, the chicken nice. Alfredo is really that good. That sounds good. I know, Ooh, that's a good one. I had the uh, strawberry granola breakfast from them last year, and I really enjoyed that. So yeah, what good. about what about you, Dirk? What, did, what is your, your preferred Protein. flavor or the one you avoid? Um, yeah, I, I like the Peak Refuel stuff, too. Um, I like I like the price point of the of the mountain house a little better just just because when you have to buy you know twenty of them it right. it all adds up sure but uh, you know I've got a, a lot of favorite favorite ones I really like the pepper steak um, I like I like the pasta primavera but I'll I will pack uh, one of those little uh, star kiss uh, smoked salmon packages okay. and add to that um, pasta primavera dude it's you, wow. It's the bomb. Now it's you're just getting fancy. Yeah. That's, that's game you're, changing you're, right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just went and started showing off. <laughs> but, uh, it's got expensive taste, this guy. backcountry <laughs> chef du jour. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I hate to sound cliche, but but uh, I I like the biscuits and gravy. I, I'd uh, never eaten them until, until last year. Trent, really Trent Fisher said, here, have some of these. I'm like, in real life, you know, normal brisk biscuits, bits, bleh biscuits and gravy i don't like like them because they're like soggy and kind of sweaty right. and gross <laughs> but i'll tell you what mountain house biscuits and gravy they're pretty awesome uh they stay a little the little biscuits kind of stay a little bit crispy and 
they're good. I I like those things. Those are like a. Yeah, I'm gonna that's, eat a lot of that this year. That's a that's a pretty <laughs> filling meal too. I know I'm a pretty big guy, and and I know I can get through about half, maybe three quarters of a bag before I tap out, and just go. Yeah. I'm just gonna feel like I've got gonna... an extra load in my <laughs> yeah. pack carrying it around. The, the hiking capacity goes down when you weigh yourself down with the whole <laughs> serving. You know, if you double down on that. So, oh, yeah. Um, all right, fun fun stuff here. Here we go. Last year, you guys did a little bit of a, you know, social media competition. Uh, some of you may have seen that. Um, it's uh, rather comical. Uh, we, we won't talk about who won or lost, but you guys essentially bo- both held up your end of the bargain on, uh, you know, your, your favorite uh, WWE character into the woods, which was absolutely hilarious. Um, and Scotty actually <laughs> sitting next to us here has his AEW shirt on. So, you know. Yeah, he, yeah. Support your local wrestler. <laughs> um, what's, wh- how, how do you, you one-up that one? What's, what's on tap this year? I mean, you guys, you guys have the perfect personalities, and I think you guys are a lot like us. You rib and jab each other all the time. I'm like, uh, what's what's on tap for this year? I mean, you got how are you gonna outdo that? Man, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> the thing is, I don't think we we sit down in big marketing meetings and pencil it out on a chalkboard and, and say, all right, we're gonna do this, this, and this. And it's almost like we just kind of wing it. Um, I hate to say that, and probably Jason's like, wait, you haven't signed <laughs> out something yet. Well, you gave it but, away when you said uh, chalkboard, so. <laughs> You've had yeah. plenty of time to think about it, sitting around with the Rona going around the country. You should there should be some uh, very creative juices flowing. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, I don't know that we yeah, really think... planned a lot. I mean, we have talked about Charlie wearing a leprechaun suit or something, but I I don't know if, I don't know if, if, if Jason's ordered that yet. <laughs> Yeah, as as Dirk mentioned, like last year, that whole the whole uh, scenario got started. I think Dirk made a post. Um, that guy that's sitting in front of the little white board, you know, changed my mind sign. And Dirk says the Mavericks a better call or something than the Pete call. Changed my mind, and it was that one little post that kind of got the creative juices going. And Dirk's like, "Hey, I've got this idea. Let's pin our calls against each other." And I'm like, "This might be the worst idea ever." Like, <laughs> you make fun of my call, I make fun of your call. And then, yeah, I don't know how many of you guys watched Eight Mile back in the day, but you're like, oh, yeah, Man, that might be brilliant. Like Eminem, this is in when Eminem, this is himself. Like everybody has to basically drop the mic. Like well, these guys are, you, know, you can't even make fun of them, right? right. Nobody yeah. can make fun of you if you make fun of yourself at that level. <laughs> and it, it turned out to be pure gold, um, you yeah. know, and, and a really good strategy. And um, I probably owe Dirk some thanks, even though I was really unsure at the beginning. But it's just, it was fun. It got a lot of a lot of our um, you know followers involved. You know, we were we were at the world championships and me and Dirk were out, you know, test, test blowing a call really quick before the competition. And somebody riding over our head in the gondola, like team Maverick. And then for all of them to get, you know, involved and, and to have some fun with it, it I think is what it's all about. Yeah. Well, and I think it speaks volumes to, you know, just, just like we started the conversation, which is the approachability you guys have, taking yeah i'd say some risk you know kind of throwing it and putting it out there to people and and like you said not taking yourselves too seriously i think that there's a lot to be said with with that and that it it provides kind of a human element to it that you guys have have really utilized you know social media platforms and and obviously you guys have done a lot in terms of the hunts that you guys have filmed and i watched the sub-zero um 
this week as well, which uh, looked miserable and except for the, you know, the huge deer that you guys t- <laughs> took <laughs> multiple. Um, I'm like, well, that part's cool. But uh, and, and growing up in Nebraska, like other than it being super, you know, a little a lot more uh, undulation in the terrain, like I, I actually have a picture of uh, one of our. Uh, staff members Darby uh, one time we were rifle hunting and and I took a picture of him where we're sitting on a a side hill and he's literally we'd sat there long enough glassing that his whole like his hat everything he's just he's starting to become a snowbank and I'm like reminded me of that as I was watching that this week and I'm like man I I sure like September that's a lot that's a lot nicer (laughs) you know what I think to me we're able to to be authentic. Um, right. My wife always t- tries to tell me, Dirk, you take things too far. You need to tone it down a little bit. Cause <laughs> in, in, <laughs> in the, in the spirit of making people laugh, sometimes it is to my own expense. <laughs> sure. um, and I, and that's what I love about working for Jason. I mean, he's, he's pretty open-minded. You know, we, you know, we got to keep it, we got to keep it classy, but, but uh, <laughs> you know, he let, he lets me get away with some stuff and, and I think if we can make fun of ourselves, you know, we're not here to, to talk crap about competitors. We're not here to right. beat our chest about who's the best in the world. We're here just to have a good time. And, 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 you know, we're all humans. We're all elk hunters. We're all just trying to, you know, be a big family. And I think if we can be authentic and kind of be ourselves, I, I, I think people can identify with that. So yeah, it's like, it's um, like uh, at, at our own expense sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Ron Burgundy classy is what it is. Yeah, I mean, right. if we're going to put it in a yeah. category, yeah. you got to be able to laugh and, and enjoy yeah. yourself and not take yourself too seriously. I think that applies to a lot of different aspects of life, but you guys are pretty good at it and it makes you very relatable when you're on, you know, when we watch videos or again, when we meet each other in person or listen to you guys on a podcast, you, you guys make it sound like you're just one of us. You're not some hoity toity, you know, walking around the woods with his pinky in the air. Um, you know, kind of guys, you guys are farting and, you know, eating terrible foods and you know what I mean? Like that's, that's what makes it fun and exciting. Cause you're just like Dirk we are. Does have his pinky in the... When Dirk's drinking white claws, his pinky is. In the I, 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 did, oh, yeah. I did see that. I did see that last week, by the way. Uh, I, I did. I did watch that as well. So. All right, Dirk, maybe you, you, you just, you, you went down a little notch in my book there. If you're drinking the white claws with the pinky yeah. in the air, I'm sorry. Yeah. Fat guy problem. If, you're, if you were drinking like a keystone, if you were drinking like a keystone, yeah. you'd be like, all right, that guy, he's, he's pretty cool. He's one of us, but a white claw, come on. Yeah. So <laughs> Keystone's almost, almost pretty much near water. I mean, yeah. it's so much water. Just enough, just enough flavor to make it feel like you're drinking a beer. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, um, uh, kind of as we get, get close to, to wrapping up here, a couple, you know, maybe final things. Um, and since we're having some fun, you know, I know, some of the funniest things that I, I saw, uh, you know, like with, with you, Dirk, was, you know, obviously the, the face painting piece. Are, are you now an adopter of the face paint or was that a one-time deal? I mean, like. That that was a one-time thing. I'm, I'm <laughs> probably not going to do it again. Uh, I would do it again with Trent, but that would be the only time <laughs> or the only place I would ever do it. So uh, I'm just gonna You wouldn't say, cheat on him? That stuff. I would never, I would never <laughs> cheat on Trent on the face paint. 
Um, that stuff, it just gets everywhere, man. I have that stuff all over me. I mean, you put it on your face, but before you know it, you got it on your sleeves and your hat and it's just greasy. And I, I'm not, a, I don't like it. Especially like if you it. touch your face a lot, if you're rubbing your nose or your eyes and then yeah. Yeah, your hands oh. are full of grease. Right. Right. And yeah. then, and I'm a sweater and I, I sweat like crazy and that's, oh, no, it's no good. <laughs> right. Um, so Last last thing, uh, Dirk. I know you, and we'll kind of you know tie this in. Obviously, you know for for those that that watch and kind of follow anything that we do, you know, obviously a big part of what our mission is is trying to provide obviously people with information, provide provide them with educational stuff, give them insight, bring guys like you that are you know way way smarter and way more experienced and and have a lot more insight probably than we do in some of these areas but for us the big part that we think we are good at is understanding the physical demand side of uh you know what it requires to get out into the the high country and, and how much it is a huge ask to prepare for it like Dirk I know you had your shoulder I saw the other day you're saying that you know you're finally back to you know uh getting your bow back in your hand and getting back to drawing like what are some of the things that you guys do to prepare you know physically as far as September um and and you know into you know the whole hunting season um what do you guys do on that that side of the fence typically I like to hike I like to hike a lot um leading up to September um start out you know hiking hills if your legs don't work, you can't hunt, right? So trying to get my legs freshened up and, and uh, hiking, I do that a lot uh, through the summer. As towards, you know, August gets there, I start putting on heavier weights and, and start, you know, as far as putting weight in my pack. Um, but usually right before season, I've got a, like a five-mile loop I'll, I'll hike with, you know, 30 to 40 pounds in my pack um, on the daily. And it's usually <laughs> hot, horrible. It's like, you know, I, I would get off of work and uh, go hike the hill. It, it may be 80, 90 degrees out. Oh, yeah. But uh, so it's so not only is it physically demanding, it's also it messes with your head a little bit. You know, hiking out in the hot sun, it sucks. Yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to lie. It, it sucks. But once you get to doing it, you start to get your sweat going and, and keep hydrated through it. And you're just like. Yeah, this is fine. And I think it builds some mental toughness too, because in September it's you know probably ten to twenty degrees cooler, depending on the day, and uh, that just makes it a lot easier. Um, I'll do some dumbbell workouts, you know, for shoulders, uh, you know, just strength training type stuff. Um, I don't go too too far in, you know. I'm, I don't CrossFit. I probably should. That's a pretty awesome workout, but um, I just try to build strength. I try to keep my upper body strong. Um, but, um, that's basically what I do. Yeah. We had two questions, uh, you know, from a couple listeners and you kind of hit on both of those. One of them was, uh, from a buddy of mine, actually, that, that I grew up with Jake Holsher. And, and he asked, you know, kind of, what do you guys do on the mental side? And I think you kind of just touched on that, you know, like to prepare yourself for the physical demands. And I think there's a lot to be said with that, right? Like the summer months are going to be super hot. And when you go out and you kind of progressively start putting a pack on and, and add and load and everything else and putting on that mileage, like not only I think are you building some physical resiliency, but a lot of times the mental side of it too, right? Like I, I actually kind of 
play these mind games is I hike a lot of times where I know when it starts sucking, I start talking to myself a little bit where I'm like, all right, we got to dig in. And I've got the, I, I, my wife's a pack mule. She's a freaking, she's a nutbag. <laughs> so my best way to train is to go out and have her hike in front of me because she'll never stop. And no matter how far or how high or how, how long we go, like she's she, like the rabbit on the race it's, course. It's unbelievable. Just keeps going round yeah. and round and round. We'll get done. My tongue's hanging to the ground. She's like, that was great. Wasn't I'm like, shut up. We're going home. <laughs> <laughs> so jason how about you so for me um i live at 300 feet uh sea level so way up there i uh, i'm a gym rat um my my schedule basically is is packed in before the the covid home lockdown like i would i just swing into the gym before um to be honest i have not did anything in the last three months besides eat a little bit better which i'm still losing some weight and for me just being a big guy and the, uh, you know, the ability to look at a cookie and gain a pound, um, you know, for me, it's just, it's really just, it's really just a diet. Like if I can keep myself in that 240 to 250 range, you know, um, for those of you that don't know or can't see, I'm, I'm like a six foot four, six foot five guy. So 240 is about right. Um, and, and then, you know, because of that size, uh, you know, I do strength train quite a bit, you know, legs, deadlifts, like that sort of stuff. So more functional stuff. Like I'm not the guy that's going to sit down on it. I'll work bench press and, and curls and shoulder stuff in occasionally. But, you know, for me, from, from my sports days, like it's, you know, heavy, heavy um, squats, heavy deadlifts, you know, lunges, stuff that to me, you know, will actually translate out into the woods. Yeah. Um, so that's really it. As, as hunting season gets close, I do have about a five and a half mile loop. But the unfortunate thing is I can only really get about 500 foot of elevation in on that, you know, that loop. And yeah. so um to me it's you know in the gym like all right we're gonna go to the we call them the stairs to hell you know just the revolving escalator um you know and and i kind of play tricks on myself a little bipolar like all right what's the one thing you don't want to do on the way to the gym well you don't want to get on the stair climb or go get on it you know and then i'm gonna crank <laughs> it up a level or i'm gonna go an extra five minutes and you know kind of turn on myself because you know there's days i don't want to sit down on the rowing machine and row yeah. ten thousand meters i'm like all right now i'm gonna row fifteen thousand meters because you know there's your body doesn't want to do that. And so for me, it's, and then the mental toughness and even some of the physical, like I was told a long time ago, and whether it's a placebo effect or not, I'm not going to question it. Um, you know, you hear the term like old man strength. You know, uh -huh. I had some of these older guys tell me like, hey, you know, I just got old man strength. And, and uh, some of it's either coming through or it's just from years and years of doing this that like, or I'm not very smart. Like my mental toughness is there from years on years on years of doing this. And it seems like every year it's getting a little bit easier um, to go up in the mountains. You're like, well, you did this last year. You've been in this situation before and it's been yeah. way worse. Um, and, and my legs just seem to be better. Every year. I don't know whether it is part of the training or not, but like I can just, uh, you know, we're going to go out on a bear hunt here in a couple of days and I'm not too worried about it. It's like, it, you know, yeah, you might be a little bit more sore that first day. Um, you know, second, third day, but you're, you're probably going to live through it and you're going to be just fine. You're going to be able to hunt, you know, as hard <laughs> as I want. And so right. a, a little of that's, you know, not so much, you know, the physical training leading up to it, which will kind of, you know, hone that, that mental edge, but, uh, it's just from years and years of doing this that it's like, ah, well, we'll, we'll get through it. Right. And I think for, I think, for, go ahead. I think, uh, expectation versus reality too, uh, has a lot to play with it. So maybe you've seen um some super athletic in shape dudes just climb mountains like crazy and you you and in your mind you're going to go elk hunting and you think i'm going to do it do it that same way 
but the reality of it is um, maybe you physically can't. But what you can do, everybody can climb that mountain. I don't care who you are. Everybody can climb a mountain. It may be a little different pace, you know. A 500-pound guy could probably climb up there. It might take one step every hour, but he can climb that mountain. So I think it's kind of kind of getting through your head. It's like, oh, I'll get there. I'll go kill it. I'll, I'll hike way over there. I'll kill that elk, and I'll pack him out. It's just going to take right. whatever time I can do. Sure. And I think once everybody, you know, their expectation versus reality, it's like if you can expect like and have the confidence to know that, well, I can go do that, and I'm going to do it. Once they put get that mind – mind metal set that they're going to do that i there's not a lot that you can't do yeah we, i talk about I, or I, I think i think a lot of times like on those horrible long days and you're hiking out two or three hours in the dark after you've already hiked 12 13 miles that day and you're like beat down tired and then you think about all these folks you hear about in the history stories whether it was the baton death march or or, you know, some of the Native Americans that ha- had to be, that were moved across, you know, halfway across the United States on foot. Nobody gave them any extra flack. They didn't have good clothing. They didn't have technical <laughs> boots. They didn't have nutrition. Right. They were hold- They were barely alive. And these, these folks did some amazing feats of, of strength and, and mental toughness. Heck, we just had a, a, a day of elk hunting. I mean, why are you being such a wimp for? Um, <laughs> really? I mean, it's so it's all it's, it's mind all, over all pers- it's all perspective. Yeah. Yep. I, I mean, it's, I mean, I, we're I don't know if we're we're blessed or cursed with a whole bunch of really tall mountains here in Colorado that that are hiked on the daily. Uh, they're known as fourteeners, and Joel and I went up uh, one. This was last year in our in our hunt prep. And, you know, to your point, you know, anybody can make it up the mountain. We made it up. It wasn't pretty, but we made it up and back. And, you know, as we're going (laughs) up and coming back, people are literally running past us uh, because they decided decided to run the, you know, however many mile round trip and vertical climb that goes along with that. And, you know, when we got back, there was a tremendous sense of accomplishment, you know, what we had accomplished that day it granted it took us 12 hours to do it um yeah. you know oh, and some yeah. people it only took three or four but there is that sense of accomplishment that you did do it that was a large bucket of suck it is basically <laughs> what it boiled down to so <laughs> so um well that's i mean that's awesome i think you know we could probably sit here for hours on uh more you know questions and, and things like that but um you know, want to kind of wrap things up and uh, tons of great stuff. You know, obviously it's, it's fun and, and really appreciate you guys' time for, you know, jumping on here and, and uh, being so approachable and things like that. Um, we, thank you guys for, you know, you guys have, you know, directly kind of supported us for the last, you know, two years as far as, um, you know, getting us to be disciples, if you will, of, of you know, the, the calls and, and um, all the guys in our, our camp uh, have really grown to love them as well. And, and probably some of that's because Jason and I have, have, you know, kind of pushed them in that direction based on our own experiences. So it, it's it's awesome to get an opportunity to talk to you guys. Uh, it's fun to watch the things that you guys do. And obviously, I know um, the the new new headquarters. I, how, how's how's all that? You guys up and running with that, or as much as yeah, you can. Yeah, I'm be. actually sitting in the front. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm, up, I'm sitting in the front office here, and uh, yeah, things have 
things are finally coming, um, you know, full circle and, and hoping to get moved in fully here shortly. So, yeah, yeah that's we're, awesome. We're here. Fortunately, so. it's, it's up and running. Unfortunately, I'm stuck here in Southwest Washington. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's not too hard for folks to find, you know, either of you guys uh, on, you know, Instagram and, and uh, you know, YouTube and, and all over, you know, Phelps Game Calls as far as, you know, just your your website. And Dirk, I know you have uh, new, your website's relatively new, um, you know, the Bugler uh, obviously people, yeah. uh, can, can reach out and, and, uh, touch base to you guys. You guys do an awesome job as far as, you know, connecting with folks in the field. And so thank you guys so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Uh, it's fun to talk. I knew it'd be, it'd be a little bit of give and take in terms of serious stuff and fun stuff. And I think we accomplished that. So, uh, and, uh, you know, obviously if you come to Colorado, our doors are always open for you guys. Anytime we'd love to have you love to meet up with you if you ever come out and, um, who knows, maybe there's a, a hunt someday in the future that we can, uh, we can put together, which would be cool too. So. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, appreciate appreciate it. you having us on. It's always, always fun to talk yeah, elk hunting that's... and make fun of each other and whatever. <laughs> yeah i mean that's we thought we, we we thought maybe it'd be an intervention but we, you know we kind of we went against it so <laughs> so oh, shoot all right thank you guys uh appreciate everybody uh tuning in and listening um and uh we appreciate you guys joining us today so thanks so much uh as we always say aim thank you aim straight and uh you know may your thanks. tags all be filled this year that <laughs> <laughs> sounds good have a good one, guys. You too. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. A big thanks to our guests, Jason and Dirk, for joining us today on the Instagram Podcast. We also thank our listeners for tuning in today and hope that you'll tune in to future episodes as well as check out all past episodes on the H3O YouTube page. Please leave your comments in the comment section below, as well as be sure to subscribe to our channel and find us on all social media outlets at Hunt Like Harvest. Thanks again for joining us today, and until next time, your aim be straight and your tags be filled.